All right, um, I'm Ed Dysinger, and this is my sweetheart, Jennifer. And we're from near Nashville, Tennessee, where my dad was born and raised. Um, we are, we're just really, really happy to be here with you. And we've been looking forward to this, haven't we? Amen. Um, I'm especially happy to be here in Australia because, uh, as, as you heard John say, that's where our mom's from. And uh, her, her dad was born in Perth, and her mother grew up uh, in Kurumbang area. Um, my grandmother, my, my mom's mother, was the daughter of John Pocock, who was taken on as a maintenance man for Ellen White at Sunnyside. And that was yeah. when he lost his job because he started keeping the Sabbath. He was a wheelwright for carriages. And she so, reached out to him and asked him to come. And it, it was really um, kind of exciting to, yes, um, on Sunday, we visited Sunnyside and there, there was a desk of Ellen White's and a, a chair of Ellen White's that she gave to John Pocock when she left. And then the family had given it to, to Sunnyside. And I didn't realize that until we went there. So, and, um, I have been to Australia once before in 1981. I came with my mom and John and I have a brother in between us, Wayne. Um, he's been back here quite a few times since then. He's, he's a doctor and he's been involved with sanitarium and, and CHIP. Um, but um, on that trip, it was, it was a flying trip. We had, we had two weeks and we, we got a bus pass. And, and we, we went from Sydney down to Melbourne, out to Adelaide, out to Perth, back across again um, to Port Macquarie, to Brisbane, to Townsend, and back. So <laughs> if you can imagine that in two weeks on a bus. We, we spent half the nights on the bus and the other half in the homes of relatives. So it was a... This is my adventuresome man I married, and life hasn't got much slower since. <laughs> but, um, yeah, one, one thing that was special about that trip, I had, a, I, I had a certain young lady on my mind the whole time. And um, when I got home, things progressed, and that was us. <laughs> um, this topic is so special to us about God's purpose, his glorious purpose for education for the human race. Well, so let's, let's start with a prayer. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Could you pray for us? Mm -hmm. Our loving Father, you are so tender and so gracious toward us. You have led us every day of our lives and brought us to this place and revealed yourself and your love to us. We pray today that we may get a glimpse of your glory, that we may reflect that glory and give you praise and honor. May we love one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, our journey, we're just going to share a little bit of how we were schooled. Okay? So, um, I, I was, um, my parents were missionaries, and they were missionaries to India. So my first memories of, in, of India, and America was an elusive land that people had walkie-talkie dolls or, you know, we saw missionaries bring things and I thought, what is that land? And when I was seven and a half, I returned to America and it was there that I was put into public schools. I was kind of, I wasn't an Adventist and my parents really believed in the American ideal of educating everybody the same, that we shouldn't have classes or elite ways of being raised and they had quite a attitude of humility about life even though they were both doctors my dad came from poverty and um, worked hard to become a physician and to serve he served a lot around the world so I was a little fearful of this world that um, I was coming into because it was so different than what I was experiencing under the mango trees and 
um, it was growing up in that that I was very obedient, always, you know, doing what I was told in school. I was a favorite of the teachers because I was listening and I was learning. But what I was learning was men's thoughts, right? What they're teaching you to learn. And God isn't a part of the secular, you know, um, public school system. And, and therefore, you're with your peers, and that isn't really conducive to family life and relationships. Um, and even though I didn't recognize the need as I grew and as I um, got older and you get heartaches in life, I started feeling the needs of my soul, which you don't so much when you're a little child. And fortunately, um, and even before that, honey, my greatest thing that turned my life on with a light was growing a garden with some neighbors. They had a, an orange grove as a business, lots of orange groves. We lived in Southern California near Loma Linda. My dad taught at Loma Linda. He's a pediatrician and geneticist. So it was in that setting with these neighbors that I grew the first garden, and it was so engaging to me to see a seed grow into food that I could eat. It was the most practical thing I felt I'd ever done, except, you know, I weeded and did things at home when other kids were playing, but this was real life, and life had more meaning in the garden to me. I just, I was touched. And fortunately, when I was 15 or 16, my dad took a sabbatical to New Zealand, and he took all of us with him, and we spent a year there. But at that time, a girl took an interest in me and took me to Navigators, and I was praying about whether the Bible was real. You know, that might seem funny for a, a missionary child, but my parents really didn't have morning and evening worship, so they didn't have the foundations that we have. And so I was looking for a holistic view of life, and the Bible just, the Lord confirmed to me, the Bible is real. You can trust in the Word of God. And that began my journey with the Lord, my own personal journey with the Lord. Um, so in, in, when I was in grade school, I hated school. Um, I, I, was, I was passive rebellious. And so I, I just did the minimum necessary to get by. The, the main issue I had with school was that I, I didn't see that it had any relevance to real life. Um, I felt like it was confining and trying to put me into a mold. And uh, I felt that it, pre it prevented me, because it gave me lots of busy work, that it was preventing me from following and pursuing my real interests. Um, in high school, I, I attended a, an academy that, that it was a boarding school that had a work-study program. And um, that started to get a little bit better. And one, uh, among a number of different work positions that I had there, I, I was assigned to work in the dairy for a while, and I really loved that, um, the discipline and the hard labor. Um, I also read the book Education during that time, and I was really attracted to the holistic picture that I saw in that book. Um, beautiful I, I felt like, wow, there really is a better way, and I felt like my, my views on school were, were somewhat validated <laughs> by that book. By the way, how many of you have read Education? I, I want to really encourage those of you who haven't to read it. It is, it is really deep. It's, it's actually, I mean, I, I like so many books that Ellen White has written, but I have to say, this is, this is right at the top among the ones that I, that I like. I really like it a lot. Um, honey, I was going to add that when, yeah. I, when I actually um, became a, a converted Christian, school started having very little meaning to me because I'd been producing really good grades, top of my class, but it wasn't real. It didn't impact real life. 
And so um, that changed my life. And what was really exciting is when God brought me into this message and everything took a holistic viewpoint on life. So, um, when we got married, we, it was our intention to be missionaries. We wanted to go overseas, and we wanted to have a family. And we, we wanted to do something different with our family than how we had been raised. So this is our family as it stands now. Um, we, have, we have three children. Is there a, yeah, okay. This is our oldest daughter. And Evangeline. Evangeline and her husband. And then they have four kids. Caden uh, is the oldest, then Patrick, then Alistair, and Riona. And they live on the farm next to us. And it's such a pleasure to have them there. Um, Cheyenne is a graphic artist, and he's able to do his, most of his work from home. Um, our next is Caroline and her husband, David. And they have two children. Sarah here, and um, Peter. And David was an apprentice on our farm and met Caroline that way. Yeah. The, the apprentice finds the farmer's daughter. <laughs> so, anyways, they, they live about three hours from us, and they're starting up a, a frozen vegan entree business. Um, and then our youngest is Paul, and he's, he married Natasha about a, a year ago, Natasha Neblet. Um, and we're very pleased for them. They, they are actually uh, working with Mark Finley right now They've, for almost this, this year. Um, they're sort of being, being Elisha to Elijah. When we, when, we think of, when we talk about education, we need to think bigger. Um, you know, if, you've, if you've read the book Education, maybe you are thinking bigger, but, but in general, we just need to think bigger. It's, it's way bigger than, than what, we, what we're accustomed to thinking. Um, from the beginning, God had a glorious purpose in the education of the human race. So we, wanted, we just want to touch on what was that purpose, what was encompassed by it, and how was it to be accomplished. I, I want to say that most of what we're taking comes from the first chapter of the book Education. There's a bit from other places in education, but it's all from the book Education. And um, again, I want to encourage you to read that book because we, we can just touch on a little bit here. I was really surprised that a pure and perfect race needed to be educated. I mean, I really didn't know that God had a plan and a purpose for our education when we were sinless. And that's really amazing. This is going to bring that forward. What what he had thought for us was that we would always be developing and growing, just like a plant or a tree would. So... This is the first sentence in the book, Education. Uh, She just starts out, bang. (laughs) (laughs) Our ideas of education are too narrow and too low. There is more to education than a certain course of study. There is more to education than the preparation for this life, like job training or a career track. And that's what we got an education like. Yeah. <laughs> um, we need a broader scope and a higher aim. Education encompasses the whole being. And it has to do with the whole period of existence possible to man. We're, we're getting pretty big here. So the whole being, honey, is my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And my physical I mean, she, she uses the term faculties. Yeah. You know, all your abilities. And, and the whole period of existence. When did that start? When you're born. When does it end? Hopefully. Hopefully never. never. <laughs> okay. Um, 
God actually planned it through all eternity. So, I mean, this is, this is really a key idea that, that it never ends. And it involves the harmonious development of all our powers, mental, physical, and spiritual. And I want to emphasize the harmonious. You know, we're in, when we think of education, we're thinking mental, knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, we're t- when she talks education, she's talking about the harmonious development of all your powers. And harmonious, you know, we have some kids, they're great in math, so they're great in reading, and we think they're really intelligent, but God is looking for harmonious development, so they're not developing faster in the mind than they are in the physical, and actually physical would be better first, because the mind is more taxing than physical strength. The yeah, um, brain isn't ready for a lot of the When they're real stuff. little. Yeah. So we want to have the harmonious development of the mental, physical, and spiritual, and that can do, grow very well in the garden. That way, some people might think your kids are behind in this area, but they're growing at the same rate as their spirituality and their physical strength and their mental. So what's the purpose for developing all these powers, these abilities? Um, It's simple. It's to prepare the student for the joy of service in this world. Um, So everything we're learning is to bless others. Our faculties are growing so that we can share the, the goodness of God. And then, and then secondly, it's preparing the student for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. That really shocked me. You know, in the beginning, I can see in this world, we need to be self-forgetful, right? We need to be thinking about others because joy comes from relationships. So you're, when you're engaging and losing sight of self, all of a sudden you're seeing this bonding and the joy that's happening to the other and... It's, it's amazing what God does when we, we give, right? You receive back. But thinking about service in heaven, have you ever thought of that before? I thought that we didn't need to serve in heaven because everybody has what they need. I thought we were serving the poor, or we're serving our neighbor, uh, our spouse. You know, we're serving each other. But So that was a new concept. It was really a new concept. Um, I thought that service was related to character development to enter heaven. You know, that the idea that we need to lose sight of um, selfishness. One, one thing I, I, I like about this concept is that it tells me that heaven is not some grand spiritual amusement park. Um, you know, a lot of times growing up when, when people were trying to explain what heaven was like. You know, they said it's, it's a great place. You know, you can have fun sliding down the necks of the giraffes and, and flying and exploring other planets. And it's, you know, it's just a great place. You'll have more fun than you ever could imagine. But, you know, there's, there's more to life than, than just having fun. I, I really believe that God created us to, to want and desire to carry responsibility and to accomplish things. And um, God built that into us, I believe, in the beginning, before sin. And he, you know, everything that God created had a place where it was to function and serve. I mean, I'm talking about everything. The, you know, the plants, the animals, us. We were all created with a, in biology, we call it a niche, right? So... There's a place for everything, and, and we're not going to be aimless in heaven. We, we are going to have a place. We have a purpose, a reason to be existing there, and a reason to be developing our, our, our powers and our abilities more and more. Um, I mean, this is, this is a really big picture. And that's that, why we want to get started here, because we're going to yeah. build on that. Because we're when laying we the foundation here that's going to take us there. So, we have responsibilities and service to give in heaven. That reminds me about having true satisfaction. Uh-huh. See, God wants us to have satisfaction in life. And Edwin had shared with me, well, 
there, there's three areas that we need every day for daily satisfaction. Wow, I perked up, you know? Like, what is it? So... One is, one is work. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing as satisfying as, as working hard and sweating and, and, and coming home at the end of the day and feeling like you did something. When you build something yeah. or we plan something, we kind of stand back and look at it, and don't you, aren't you in awe? You're like, wow, that's amazing. Look at this. And our kids always ask us to come watch their things, right? That you know, they e do? Even, even God did that. Yeah. And, and we're created in his image. You know, he, he built that into us. He said, this is good. Yeah. So that's one satisfaction. What's the next one? Affection. You like that, don't you? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, affection. We all need that every day. We, yeah, so we need work every day, and we need affection every day. And that's very satisfying. And we can... That's why this, the single people need to be in families, and it's very important. And, and there's a third thing that we need every day. It's a very simple and basic thing, and that's food. And, and f good food, particularly from the hands of someone who loves you, is very, very satisfying. And it's even more satisfying if you grew it yourself. <laughs> that, so in that, heaven, that kind of wraps it all, all three of them up together. You know, yeah, if, there's if affection you, there yeah. in the food. <laughs> so, um, yeah, God created us to have satisfaction, but this is not, not just in this world. This is for eternity. So this is what we're going to have in heaven too, right? Mm -hmm. Work, affection, food. That's the, one of the first things we're going to have is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So God created man in his own image, and it was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the more fully reflect the glory of the creator. All his faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor were continually to increase. You get that picture? They were, our faculties, um, the, the capacity of our faculties and, and their vigor was to continually increase. That was God's purpose in creating Adam. He created us with, with this capacity for continual growth. Um, I don't, I, do you have this saying here in, in America, we say, old dogs don't learn new tricks. <laughs> That's not true. God, Our brain is developing God all the time. God created us for continual development and growth. And so Adam and Eve, is this the time to share about Adam and Eve? Um, not Growing? Okay. Just higher than the Ooh. highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. I wish you could see the full picture because it goes down very far and Caden, our beloved, is... It's our grandson. Grandson, the oldest, is taking off over our farm. So you could see all the fields down the right and the hillside that he's dropping from. Yeah. So, this is, this is what God wants for us. This is the glorious purpose that God has in our education. It's to grow in the likeness of God. Mm -hmm. That sums it up. But we're going to look at a few more details. And honey, we've got 20 minutes. Okay. So. Okay. Um, so, first off, when we're talking about education, our, our primary source, you know, we, uh, scholars like to talk about going back to the primary sources when they're doing research. Well, our, our primary source when we do research is God himself, right? I mean, did, was, was there any knowledge or wisdom before him, outside of him? So everything goes back to him. In a knowledge of God, all true knowledge and real development have their source. 
Whatever line of investigation we pursue with a sincere purpose to arrive at truth, we are brought in touch with the unseen, mighty intelligence that is working in and through all. So I, I want to point out here that, you know, we, we do sometimes have a, have a fear of, of worldly knowledge. Um, but it is, it is clear that any wisdom and any knowledge that's true, that's out there, it doesn't matter whose mouth it's coming from, if they're speaking truth, that truth came from God, okay? So we don't, we don't need to be afraid. What, what we need to do, what we need is to, to understand and, and, to, and to give our children a, a, a strong foundation of knowing who God is and how God works so that they can recognize truth for themselves. So they'll be able to weed out and, and say, okay, this man, you know, he's saying some good things, he's saying some true things, but not everything. And, and they're able to extract what's true and leave what's not. We, we need to be able to have this ability. Um, so as we, as we investigate um, and, and research, uh, particularly when we're, when we're well, if, if, we're, if we're examining anything that's true, um, the mind of man is brought into communion with the mind of God. Because anything true out there came from God's mind. And so if we're, if we're understanding these things, um, we're, we're, we're delving into God's mind. I'm gonna, we're it's gonna... like the flash of the intellect, anything that's an inspiration to us. You know, sometimes you just say, oh, I just thought of that, and it seems really amazing. It's from God. He gives us the seeds of thought that so come to us. We're going to come back to this again. So in this communion is found the highest education, and it is God's own method. So what we're wanting is to, is to bring our minds into, in touch with God. That's what Adam and yeah. Eve had in the garden. Yes. And this, um, this next one, I think, makes it clear. All created things in their original perfection were an expression of the thought of God. How, how did God create, honey? By his word. By his word. Word, the heavens So he, he spoke. And, and what's a word? Where does a word come from? It's, it's, it's an expression of, of, of the heart or the mind, right? A thought. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thought expressed. And so when God is, when God is creating things, it's his thought that's being expressed in those things that are created. His thought was, is being expressed in you and in me and in, in the whole natural world. And so as, as we study those things of nature, how do they work and why do they work the way they work and how do they interact with each other? All of these things are things that God established and we are, we are touching the mind of God. We're having communion with his mind as we, as we understand those things deeper and deeper. Well, you know, Adam and Eve, when they came into this perfect world, they were so excited about what they saw, the mountains and the hills and the streams and the babbling brooks and the, the stars. They were incredible. And the seas and all the animals Adam was given to name. And so he had this intimate relationship with them. He's looking at them and he's watching their, their habitat and their character. And so he's naming them by those two things. And so those are things that we have that he's recognizing the monkey has this joyful, playful way, and he's associating that with himself. So he's naming them. He's able to name them because of what he can recognize in himself. So he is looking and 
his home is, is the garden, and he has the grass and the flowers for his floor and the heavens for the dome, and he's making his walls out of vines, you know, for his house. And the more, and G- Jesus comes every day to the garden, and he's able to ask him about the things he's discovering and talk to him about it. And what, what did you have in mind by this lofty tree? You know, how does it hold itself up? And how are they related, sweetie? You know, he was looking at relationships in the garden and that everything's connected. Everything's giving to another to help the other one live. So he's, he's looking at the largest animals and the tiniest little things. He's looking at, let's see, the worlds and their revolutions and wondering how they stay in order. So every day he's asking his father. Adam is the son of God. He didn't have a parent like us. This is his parent, and, he's, and God's his parent, and he's coming there, and he's saying, look at what I found. And that's what your children do, don't they? They want you to enter what they're looking at and find out more about it. So, so the first school was a garden. The Garden of Eden was the schoolroom. Nature was the lesson book. The creator himself was the instructor. And the parents of the human family were the students. The laws, so what, what, were, they, what were they studying and how did, how did the school operate? Well, the laws and operations of nature and the great principles of truth that govern the spiritual universe were opened to their minds by the infinite author of all. So, so they were studying how, how, how do the natural things operate. And what I, what I found in the garden is that there is a connection between the laws and operations of nature and the great principles of truth that govern the spiritual universe. I don't know if you, you know, I, I, I've come to, fr- I didn't believe this when I started gardening. I thought there was kind of a, you know, it just happened that there were some connections there. But when, when I started gardening, I started seeing this and it's very clear to me now and I'm totally convinced that God created the seen world, the natural world that we live and work in, um, to teach us about the unseen world. And so when Adam and Eve were working in that garden, they were not just learning how, how to make plants more fruitful, how to, how to take care of the animals. They were learning principles on a spiritual level as well. Okay, so that's one thing. That's one way that the garden school operated. The second is that useful occupation was appointed to them as a blessing to strengthen the body, to expand the mind, and to develop the character. So there there is something very significant about useful occupation. Um, it's, It's a... Well, there, have you heard of the, the science of kinesthetics? It's, it's, it's the study of, of the connection between muscle movement and, and the mind. I could say the movement of the mind. There, there's a connection between those two things. And, and learning actually is facilitated when those two things are connected together. Okay? So... Are you seeing some connections here to the garden? Mm-hmm. You know, God, God wanted us to work with our hands, but as we're working with our hands, we have to be doing a lot of um, thinking. You know, gardening, the, the, the manual labor, you know, we tend to think of manual labor as mindless labor. The manual labor that God gave man is not a mindless labor. It's a very mindful labor. It takes a lot of thinking to do things right. I mean, you know, gardening is, 
is not simple. They're, you know, there are steps you have to take. You have to, you have to be thinking about timing. You have to be thinking about um, the relationships of different things. You have to be thinking about seasons. Um, there, there are so many things to think about. Water, nutrition. Water and nutrition, yeah. Shade, protection. Protection. Um, on and on. And so, and so it takes a lot of thought, careful thought and planning, a lot of understanding. I, I can guarantee you, if you haven't gardened, you're not going to go out and grow a perfect garden. Uh, it's just not going to happen. There is a, there is a lot of... Um, it's a learning curve. Yeah, a, there's a, a lot of learning, learning and, and mental effort that goes into this manual labor. But God intended for it, there to be a connection between those two things. We're even told in a, a vision Ellen White had that um, she saw us working the soil in heaven. Yeah. So, so we, that's, we've just got 10 minutes, honey, and we've, we're We have quite all the way till 10.30. Yeah, okay. but that'll be cutting out of the next sessions, so... Okay. We have enough. Okay. Yeah. So, we're only about halfway through. Okay. <laughs> Go on. So, um, God has endowed us with a power not wholly unlike His. To us, has been given a degree of control over the forces of nature. As God called forth the earth in its beauty out of chaos, so we can bring order and beauty out of confusion. This is part of the, the, the useful occupation that God gave us to do. And that was there before the fall, even, even though it's more so after the fall. Um, the Garden of Eden was a representation of what God desired the whole earth to become. And it was his purpose that as the human family increased in numbers, they would establish other homes and schools like the one he had given. Thus, in the course of time, the whole earth might be occupied with homes and schools where the words and works of God should be studied, and where the students would thus be fitted more and more fully to reflect through endless ages the light of the knowledge of his glory. This is the big picture that God had in creating, was that, that the Garden of Eden would be multiplied over the face of the whole earth. And um, the, the students who are trained in these other gardens, as well as in the Garden of Eden, would, would more and more fully reflect through endless ages the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Which is love growing, toward him. Growing and, in his image. And love towards each other. Yeah. Um, one thing very significant about true education, and this is, this is a pattern that, that God has created, is individuality. Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the creator. Individuality, power to think, and to do. This is really important with your children because everyone is born different. And we try to bring them into a mold often, or we don't like their objectionable characteristics, but sometimes we can dampen them if we're not careful that they have an individuality that God has given them for a specific work. And we want to help that every good part to grow and develop and to not look at us all as the same. So, so traditional education, the way, the way we know it, the way we're schooled, it's, it's, it's more like um, a factory, mm -hmm. you know, where, where it, it's trying to mass produce a product. Um, and if you listen to some things on education, you'll, you'll hear that idea. Um, it's trying to mass produce a product. Um, specifically, it, it, the, the goal was to mass produce a factory worker. <laughs> and so, you know, who's not going to be thinking on his own, who's just going to be obedient. Mm. And, okay, God celebrates individuality. God celebrates diversity. If you look in the natural world, when, when God multiplies and replicates things, each, each thing is an individual. It's unique, and there's not another one like it. 
when we, when we mass produce, we, we stamp out the same thing over and over again. So that, this, is, this is a really key concept um, for, for education for our kids. I love the, all the different birds you have and the bird songs <laughs> and the flowers. I could yeah. not help but fall in love with this land. <laughs> Felt like Adam and Eve looking yeah. at Eden. Yeah. yeah. It is the work of true education to develop this power. That's the power of individuality and to think and to do. To train youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thought. So they can go down different avenues of interest, the kids, mm -hmm. um, developing their skills. Yeah. Instead of confining their study to that which men have said or written, let students be directed to the sources of truth, to the vast fields open for research in nature and revelation. Let them contemplate the great facts of duty and destiny, and the mind will expand and strengthen. So I want you to notice there, there are two places for study, nature and revelation. The, the, this is a key thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, education is relational and interactive. Amen. That's our first grandbaby girl. So education is, is the result of two things, and really it's the result of one thing, but it's, it's the result of your interaction with the world around you, what you observe or experience directly yourself. Or secondly, it's a result of your relationship with someone who has observed and experienced things that you have not. Does that make sense? I think it's pretty simple. That's, that's how education happens. Um, the first time I picked up Sarah Elizabeth, it was the day she was born. I was there at the delivery, and it was in the delivery in my house, in Caroline's room that she had in our house. And I looked at Sarah Elizabeth, and I just poked her on the nose and smiled and just said, I, you're so precious. And her little mouth went like, you know, just the little sideways kind of funny little smile, the first smiles are. But um, they recognize us talking to them. And so it is exciting to build those relationships from the beginning. I think there, there are two primary things that make relationships educational. Mm -hmm. one, one is questions. Either questions that the, the one who knows more asks the one who asks less, who knows less, or the other way around. Um, but questions are very significant. And, and secondly is stories. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's more learning that takes place through stories than probably just about anything else. Stories touch us in our hearts. Sarah Elizabeth is a powerhouse. She was switched on baby since birth. So she, my daughter has her hands full right now because she's wanting to raise her but not squelch her. And so she's very intense about things, both if she's happy or if she's sad. But anyway, she loves stories. She would hear them all the time, wouldn't she? Yeah. And her papa is her favorite. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the, who, who is most likely the, the first one that, who, who has experience that we encounter in life? Who is that? It's the, the parent. Mom and dad. Right, mm -hmm. right. Mom and dad. So th there's, there's a natural role there for, for education. Um, love, the basis of creation and redemption, is the basis of education, okay? So... Of true education. Yeah, if it's you're thinking of education, well, I said education is relational. It, it's about relations and interactions. And love is what makes relationships and interactions work. The, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just obvious. Education is going to take place so much better and so much easier in an atmosphere of love than in an atmosphere of fear. Does that, do you, do you see that? Mm -hmm. I think we, we intuitively know that. Um, so God is love and we love because he first loved us. Um, 
love, the basis of creation and redemption is the basis of true education. Oh, I read yeah. that one. Okay. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's the first great commandment. And to love him, the infinite and omniscient one, with the whole strength and mind and heart means the highest development of every power. It means that the whole being, the body, mind, as well as the soul, in the whole being, the image of God is to be restored. That's Notice that we keep going back to this idea of restoring the image of God. Mm -hmm. um, the law of love calls for the devotion of mind, body, and soul to the service of God and our fellow men. And unselfishness underlies all true development. We die when we're focusing on self. We grow when we're not. It's, it's a principle of life. Again, selfishness is, is unloving. But unselfishness is loving. Through unselfish service, we receive the highest culture of every faculty. More and more fully do we become partakers of the divine nature. The mind of man is brought into communion with the mind of God, the finite with the infinite. The effect of such communion on body and mind and soul is beyond estimate. In this communion is found the highest education. It's God's own method. Does a certain word stick out to you there? On all three quotes. <laughs> yes, communion. Brother. And you know, what is communion? It's, it's not just a relationship. It's a very intimate, close kind of relationship, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And this is what God, this is what makes education work really well, is if we're able to have communion. We need to have communion with God and, and, and with, our, with our parents, with our, parents, our, with our kids. Teachers. And um, in this communion, especially the communion with God as we're, as we're studying his works, you know, the, what came out of his mind, um, that's the highest education. Redemption and education. There is a connection between redemption and education. To restore in man the image of his maker, to bring him back to the perfection in which he was created, to promote the development of body, mind, and soul that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was the work of redemption. This is the object of education, the great object of life. So the way she uses these words, they're, they're almost the same thing. You catch that? Everything. The school is to bring us back to Re a knowledge Redemption of God. Is, is for our development into the image of God. Mm -hmm. That's why it's like education, because that's what education is about. And the more our powers are growing, the more we love him, because those all come from God. Everything that we're developing is from him. There is in man's nature a bent to evil, a force which unaided he cannot resist. To withstand this force, to attain that ideal which is his inmost soul, he accepts as alone worthy, he can find help in but one power. That power is Christ. Cooperation with that power is man's greatest need. In all educational efforts, should not this cooperation be the highest aim? Okay. So, what's, you know, we, again, the basis of redemption and of education is love. And, um, you know, who loved us more than God in, in Christ? You know, who loved us more than that? And so tapping into the power that Christ has available to us. Um, we have to be grafted in. Cooperating mm -hmm. with that power. And again, the garden is the ideal place for this to, to be learned. Because when we're working in the garden, you know, we plant the seeds, we cultivate the ground, we water, but do we make the plant grow? Do we make the plant produce fruit? You know, we're, we're cooperating with a much greater power. And, and we're, we're understanding, we, we have to learn how that power works. You know, that power has, has created um, parameters and laws. And, and so we're, our goal is to understand 
how it all works. So, in summary, um, the aim and goal of true education is godliness, godlikeness, to grow up into the image of God. Education is for service in this life and the higher joy of wider service in the life to come. Education is relational and interactive. The ideal setting for education is the home garden. Individuality is to be fostered and preserved. And redemption and education have the same purpose, restoring in man the image of God. So, yeah. so that's just a brief, um, a brief summary of, of the first chapter of the book Education. And again, please read it. <laughs> this is a picture of our farm, Bountiful Blessings Farm. And you know, each of us, God wants us to have a place on the land and a place where we can grow our food. And Adam and Eve were given a garden and what is so amazing to me is that God took that garden to heaven and at the time of the flood because he knew what that place meant to Adam. Isn't that beautiful? And God knows your hearts and he wants to give you what will bless you. He cares deeply about each of you individually and what is important for your growth and he's preparing that place for you. We have amazing God. We can't wait to see that Garden of Eden given to Adam. Can you? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.